this is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week uh, we saw Battle uh, Los Angeles. Not to be yeah. Battle for Los Angeles. Is that the title? Is that the title what, Kelly Warren? I'm just unclear on let what me, the na- this movie is called. Let, let me introduce you, and then we'll, we'll get into that. But first, mm. before we introduce you, Kelly Warren, I would like to point out that joining us today, we have with us Christian Moronski? Christian (laughs) Moronski. Racist. Maybe Kelly can help. He's a freelance writer. (laughs) Well, okay, we also have Kelly Warren. Kelly, I'll explain the title to you in a second, but do you have a tagline for us this week that's appropriate for Battle Los Angeles? Uh, You can take your pick of one of these, two. Alien hatred? Wait, I alien hated it, or at least Skyline made me laugh. <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to vote for the second one. Think it's yeah, me too. Vote for. Uh, I vote for the hatred one. Wow! So it's a two to one split. We win as usual against spoilers. <laughs> ah, suck it. How's it feel? Uh, now, don't spoil anything yet, because we might have people listening who haven't seen this movie yet. So mm. if you're listening and you haven't seen Battle Los Angeles, that, that by the way, is the title, Kelly Wand. It's Battle colon Los Angeles, not Battle L.A., because that could mean aliens invading Louisiana or something. That'd battle be dumb. Colon Los that's Angeles. not where it was filmed. Exactly. Uh, that's where the uh, remake of The Mechanic <clears throat> was filmed. But when, when people refer to famous World War II battles. They never go Battle Big Bulge. Wait, Battle Bulge. Battle Big Bulge. <laughs> Great Big Fat Bulge. Wait, what am I trying well, to say? That was a whole other century, Kelly Wand. It's time for a new 21st century battle notation. And you this mean movie, colons? This movie is blazing the trail for that. Yeah. So colons and periods is the new way of demarcating battles. Bat- how, what do you, I'm going to try this with you, Kelly Wand. What do you think of this? Battle Libya. Oh, because L.A. <laughs> uh, let's, let's get into I didn't hear the territory comments. in a second. Uh, but before we do, Dingus, why don't you tell folks who maybe haven't seen it, before we get into spoilers, what's the deal with this movie, Battle Los Angeles? What is this thing? Hmm. All right. Well, this week we saw a film called Battle Los Angeles, also known as Battle L.A. I don't know what Tom's talking about, but it, it's also known as Battle L.A. and World Invasion, colon, Battle Los Angeles. Ah. And it's formerly known as Battle for Los Angeles. So there's a lot to go on here. Um, this is a 2011 science fiction action movie directed by <laughs> Jonathan Liebesman about a platoon of Marines fighting in L.A. during an Ugh. alien invasion. The film stars Aaron Eckert and Michelle Rodriguez and is rated PG-13 for sustained and intense sequences of war violence and destruction, and for language. Uh, There's nothing in there about alien guts? Um, no, I think that, that is part of war violence and destruction. Wait, that, so frickin'... Is that, of, is that also part of Michelle Rodriguez getting sticky stuff in her mouth? Yes, yeah. that's part of her... Her, her, <laughs> her, her facial... <laughs> Um, and I think the language is not freaking Kelly. I think it's referring to little bits of Spanish that you hear. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to confuse children with that. That would right. be terrible. I forgot the aliens speak Spanish to each other. <laughs> well, I I uh, I think it's all I I think everyone can see clearly where this is going. 
But uh, I've, yeah. I've been so looking forward to Kelly Wan's synopsis after having to endure this this silly thing. Uh, hmm. Kelly Wan, how do you synopsize this without... I, I think this can be another one, Kelly Wan, where you could just say what happens and it will be an awesome synopsis. So I look forward to seeing what kind of tweaks you come up if with. If I'd been awake for the whole movie, I could have done that. <laughs> but instead, I had to reconstruct it from my dreams. All right, what are you calling what you're giving us this week? Oh, a battle elopsis. Awesome. But there's a colon in between those and an ellipsis <laughs> after the second L. Great punctuation heavy. Yeah, and then there's a colon after that, followed by these words, if you're going to write it down. So there's two colons and three periods, which trumps the actual title. Suck it, filmmakers. Right. Rock and roll, what do you got for us? <clears throat> um, okay. The Battle of Lopsis will now begin. Um, so <clears throat> we see uh, the city of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, getting pummeled by smoke and artillery from either under the ocean or up in the sky. It's a little hard to tell because the camera doesn't show us that because spatial clarity would be a spoiler. And then the words Battle Los Angeles come up without a colon or the word of in the middle. And then we flash back to meet the characters because that's what we came for. And uh, Staff Sergeant Aaron Eckhart, this Marine who puts ice on his leg at the beach because he has a cooler for it up by his car that another guy's watching for him. And the guy's all, ha ha, you're old, your leg has ice on it. And uh, Aaron Eckhart's filing for a Section 8 retirement transfer because he's done his 20 and he lost all his men over Macho Grande. <laughs> and he's getting too old for this shit, uh, etc. And Corporal Mexican can't find his tortellini. And Corporal Accent is black. And Corporal, another Mexican's getting married. And Corporal Blonde is worried about his farting. And Corporal, devoid of ethnicity, is having a baby on his laptop, but it comes out black, so he glares at Corporal Black. And Corporal Black clears his throat and goes, Oh, I better go find the tortellini. And uh, Corporal Chip on his shoulders upset Aaron Eckhart because his brother was one of the guys who didn't make it back from Macho Grande, and he owed him six bucks. So they party on the beach and get drunk, which is part of their training. But nobody smokes or swears because Hollywood wants little kids to see this movie and join the Marines and fight aliens. And the next morning, no one's hungover. And the Marines have been mobilized because meteors are approaching the Earth. And Marines are awesome against meteors. Hoorah! <sighs> <sighs> and then they learn... That was improvised. That didn't sound like it. Uh, they learn from watching the TV news, which is how the military gets its intel, that spaceships are invading all our cities uh, and blowing shit up randomly. Because when you colonize a place, you don't use nukes or poison gas or lasers or neutron bombs. You just use bullets and drones like we do with termites. And uh, a general calls a meeting and uses his back scratcher to point at a map, and he says... <laughs> Aliens have landed here, 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 and not here. And then he goes, Men, we can't afford to lose L.A., or Barstow may be next. And then he swallows hard, and he starts to cry, and then he adds grimly, Worst comes to worst, maybe even needles. 
And a scientist guy says it's because we're the only place in the universe that has liquid water, even though Europa does, and the outer planets all have ice or gaseous form of the same constituents, but the aliens haven't evolved the technology to melt ice yet, because we're also the only place in the universe that has fire. And the Marines get a fax from the screenwriter that there's five civilians holed up in a supporting character factory over on Sunset. (laughs) Because the other seven million civilians all got evacuated, no problem, like in Hurricane Katrina. So they get in a helicopter, and while they're flying over without any interference from the aliens, because aliens don't have air superiority or anything... Uh, Corporal Mexican number three scrawls illegibly on a stripper club coupon to my third favorite wife, Mildred. And he asks Aaron Eckhart, are you sure there's only one M in Mildred? And Aaron Eckhart goes, I don't make promises in combat, except for that one time in Macho Grande when I promised my men that they were all going to die except for me. So the helicarrier, cropter, crop, crop tester, the helicopter drops them all off in Louisiana, and it doesn't get shot down, and it's quiet, and they're in an alley, and they're all clustered together, because uh, the invasion hasn't reached Santa Monica yet, because that's like three quarters of a mile from the beach. <laughs> it's been hours. Um, and since they don't have any scanning equipment or intel on the area, they just creep around, and they see one dead body in a car which totally horrifies them and freaks them out and makes them exchange solemn looks because this wasn't what they were expecting at all from an alien invasion. And then they hear aliens, but it's only just a dog named Glenn who accidentally ate some Foley artist sound effects, homework alien sounds for this movie, and it got stuck in his throat. Um, And then they get ambushed and shot at by aliens, jumping around on the roofs. (sighs) We're not too sure what happens to Glenn, because the director wants us to feel exactly like trained Marines and not know anything or be able to see shit or think clearly, except in panicky, shaky cam glimpses like Marines do. And one of them bravely hides in a laundry room because he shit his pants when he saw the dog's name tag. But an alien comes, so he shoots it into a swimming pool. But because they're more advanced than us, it doesn't come leaping out of the pool, shooting randomly at everything until the rest of the squads arrive so they can shoot it back in again and then throw a grenade in after it, which the first guy didn't just do himself before because he left his grenades in the laundry hamper. And they don't check to make sure the alien's dead from the grenade. They just walk away because it's not like they thought it was dead before and it wasn't. And they meet the civilians, a Mexican dude, because the other Mexican guy, I think, got killed off. And uh, the angry chick from Coyote Ugly, who I think was playing a Latina also, wasn't sure. Uh, And the angry chick from Avatar, who I think was playing white. And the dude's kid, because kids running from explosions and never getting hurt is awesome in (laughs) PG-13. And the dad tells them if they want to use his son as bait or anything, that's cool. They're used to taking orders from white people with guns. That's not racist, science fiction and they get an alien body so they can study it and the coyote ugly girl says she can help with this because she's a veterinarian and alien life forms are pretty much the same as dogs and cats um but she doesn't help and she just watches Aaron Eckhart as he takes off its uh ankylosaurus platelets and punches each of its organs for 10 minutes till he gets to the last one and then it dies so he goes awesome now we know how to shoot him in the chest 
and uh, they're trying to get to a forward base 100 yards away that's supposedly safe, even though nowhere in the city is probably very safe. And the Abachar... The Abachar... (laughs) (laughs) I I can't do it anymore. I mean, the Avatar chick says she was on a secret mission that was formulated in 30 seconds an hour ago to blow up the alien mothership uh, by using force of will. Um... And it controls all the smaller ships they've figured out, just like the Phantom Menace one and the Independence Day one. Um, except in those, we actually got to see the insides of the ships. But they can't find this one because it's only 100 miles long. And Aaron Eckhart goes, I got it. Where would you hide a spaceship that size to keep it safe? And she goes, in orbit, out of rocket launcher range? And he goes, oh, women. Look, Dollface, we just have no reason to assume that alien races have orbital tech- satellite technology yet. Maybe stick to doing your nails and pillow fights. I was going to say underground, you know, inside solid rock and rebar asphalt. And she's all, wait, what? How is that possible? And he tells her all answers to plot points are classified. So they get on a bus. And they drive towards the third act of the movie. But some alien ships attack the bus, and Aaron Eckhart learns that the aliens have this weird exotic technology called radio waves, which means they can track electronic signals. So he tells everyone to turn off their cell phones and walkie-talkies and iPods and the bus's radio and his artificial heart. And then he tricks the aliens by running in plain view towards one of their drone ships and blowing it up with a grenade. And everyone likes him and thanks him for not dying. And he goes retreat hell we just got here and michelle rodriguez is all well technically it was the aliens who just got here we've been here for thousands of years and he's all look cupcake the important thing is that we know how to avoid detection now and we're only 30 feet from the safe base we just need to get across this destroyed overpass crawling with aliens so the aliens attack the bus with their exotic bullet guns because that's what they brought on this invasion But this time they use a slightly bigger gun to not destroy the bus, but get close enough to it so the Mexican corporal they left behind to be brave and dumb, wounded and Mexican, can suicide them all with a grenade, which takes out every alien in a three-mile radius, so they make it the rest of the way without issues or even sweeping the area for enemy survivors. And the coyote ugly girl and the kid leave the movie in a helicopter that doesn't blow up, because their story's been told. And, uh... We need a break just to catch our breath. But Aaron Eckhart rapples down in the dark to go find the mothership, and the Avatar chick and his two and a half men remaining sigh irritably and follow him, even though the brother's still mad at him, and asks him if he wants them all to die. And Aaron Eckhart says, yes, but look, I memorized the UPC symbols of your brother and all the people I've ever lost, which is like 9,000 people. Douglas G. Fartman, Lieutenant Private, 555-UHHH, Corporal Maxwell Klinger, 4077, Radar O'Reilly, STFU. So the brother goes, all right, all right, we get it. Let's just go wander around in the dark till we find a mothership or die pointlessly. Hoorah. So they fight and wander and talk and find a mothership. And Ernest Cart points an Etch-A-Sketch at it and a missile blows it up because the aliens don't have anti-missile tech yet, and it crashes down into the city, which doesn't cause an earthquake or kill anybody because L.A. buildings are up to code and because Marines are highly trained to dodge falling motherships. Um, they practice with Buicks. That's where most of the defense budget goes. Spoiler alert. Buicks. <laughs> and they get on another helicopter and get flown out to the Mojave Desert, which the aliens don't want because they already have sand. And everybody goes, nice work, Eckhart. Despite communication signals being a magnet for alien attacks, we've radioed all the other cities in the world and told them to use that crazy air-to-air missile trick of yours. We hadn't thought of that. Go have breakfast. 
And he goes inside and he sees they're out of sesame bagels and just have that raspberry cream cheese. And he goes, we already had breakfast. And he puts a clip of bullets one at a time back in his pistol, which should be enough for the rest of the war. And his troops and Michelle Rodriguez, even though they're starving and exhausted, groan wearily and then mopily follow him outside again, just like when he pulled the shit earlier. Uh, and then uh, someone goes, now let's take L.A. back. And Michelle Rodriguez goes, wait, didn't we just do that? Wasn't that sort of implied in the title? So they shoot her in the head for being an alien sympathizer. And they fly back to L.A., which, thanks to the efforts of our heroes, looks pretty much the same as it did when the movie started. Smoke, stuff, burning, no dead bodies, credits, the end. All right, Kelly Wand. <sighs> so I now, how long do we have to talk about this fucking so movie? So you loved it, then. Yeah, you loved it, it sounds like. You were a big fan of this. Um, it, uh, people applauded afterwards, and I yelled at them. What did you yell? <laughs> Take that back! <laughs> Unapplaud. No! De-applaud! Stop it! You don't think that! And, uh, I don't know. Now, Kelly Wan, it sounds to me like you don't understand that this movie made $36 million this weekend. What else was out? Fucking Red Riding Hood? Who gives a shit about that movie? Uh, well, uh, I'm sure. What Didn't Tom. some cartoon for kids open? Wasn't there something uh, about... Mars uh, Needs Moms. Mars Needs Moms. There you go. Yeah, that whole Rango thing. That's still going. This What? Well, that thing came out? Rango's already out? Yeah, yeah. Rango's out. So apparently this movie is very good because a lot of people saw it instead of other things. Can I ask just one quick question? Um, it's okay. Movies like this come out and then I, it, no one defends the shitty dialogue and bad story and shitty characters. They just go, well, it's a war movie. It's, you know, it's supposed to be like, you know, it's just a dumb action movie it's like a that popcorn movie, Kelly Wand. Right, right. Okay. So I'm just curious why that gets a free pass because you can have a popcorn movie with dialogue. Like if there, if the point of view is like, oh, it's just words. We don't care about words in our war movies. It's like, if there was no picture, would you give that a free pass? Dingus, why don't you field that one? It's just pictures. Uh, I'd be fine with that. I'd, I'd love to hear a movie on tape. <laughs> it's like a podcast. See, I don't with, think it should get a free pass, and this movie certainly should not get a free pass. Uh, this because scriptwriting comes cheaper than effects. Okay, yes. Uh, I'm not. I don't know. I wasn't that taken with the effects either. The effects or the script, no. I, I think, were, uh, were, were the, the equally abysmal. Stuff. Everything was in close-ups. Everything was reaction shots of the characters. There's ass loads of shaky cam. They're shaking it extra hard deliberately. Um, you never see what's going on in long shot. There's zero sense of perspective, zero use of space, zero use of LA landmarks, glimpses of the ships and aliens. Like That's wrong. never. First of all, they they show don't they, don't you see the Ferris wheel on Santa Monica Pier at one point? Mm. At least one point, and you see it on fire too, don't you? There there are a couple of long shots. I think that's where they blew their budget. Uh, and there were a few times during those long shots, I was like, yeah, this is going to be cool. Uh, what do these aliens even look like? We don't even get. We don't know if they have faces. We don't see their faces at all. Yeah, they have, like, smooth balls for heads. Yeah. Now, I think you mixed those two words up. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> I don't want to so, talk about this anymore. So I, I saw this with uh, with Dingus, who I think loved it. Dingus, uh... No, he, he seemed delighted. I'll bet did. No. All right, well, let's see. He was, he was giggling a lot, so... Uh, the only suspense on this podcast every week is whether what Dingus will think. So I'm willing to bet, since I lost last time, I predict he didn't like this. Do you take the other side, Tom? No, I'm going to have to agree with you, Kelly Wand. Yeah. I wasn't giggling. The guy next to me was giggling like a little girl. I mean, he was giggling the whole time. I was like, well, can I listen to this movie, please? 
this dialogue is I, I can't hear the dialogue. Yeah. They're laughing. See, there I'm are missing. times I saw I saw the reader with Dingus, and the reader is a very serious movie. And Dingus started giggling like crazy at some silly point near the end of the movie that was supposed to be serious, and he started making me laugh, and that started making him laugh. And I think we were like the two a holes in the theater in in the reader. The yeah. difference with Battle L.A. I don't think anybody minded that we were giggling. And there was one point that, that there were a couple of dudes to my right who, uh, during that awesome and you remind me of him line, <laughs> which that, that has to win some sort of uh, award. I don't care what award. That deserves recognition. The guy next to me just started giggling about that, and then I started giggling about that. And I was trying to, like, hold in my laugh, and at one point it just kind of, like, squirted out my nose like milk or something. It was... Uh, <laughs> That and you remind me of him. I mean, the audience I think wanted to be rolling in the aisles at that point, partly because they it's, were so bored. But right, it's boring as fuck. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I I would argue against all logic that Skyline is a better movie than this. I would argue with that as well. Because Skyline's funny. Skyline <laughs> is only funny. I, Skyline at least tries to make a character arc. Like when we yes. talk about Skyline, I mentioned yeah, this idea. That's, that a, it's that's a, a really good point. Yeah, and there's nothing like that Skyline. here. And and that I liked the idea of that character arc. Skyline just didn't really have the resources to tell any any story. It didn't have the actors. The script was silly. They had to shoot in the apartment building in Wilshire. Whatever. Uh, this movie had, I assume it had resources. It was a fairly big budget Sony picture, but it just had nothing to it. I mean, I early hate on, it. Early the on, the character it, is absolutely a stupid. It's just there's nothing there. No, it's so boring. And I can't when, they're, it. when they're introducing the characters early on, and they're all stereotypes, and you know, there's Kelly Wan. You, had, I, I was thinking of them as there's glasses, dude. There's mustache, dude. Like, like they're they're interchangeable except for minor little things about their faces or whatever. And they're right. they're all they're all doing stereotypical stuff. And I was kind of thinking, okay, I'm okay with this as long as we're going to like quickly kill these guys or do something. You know, you know, as long as we get to the action. If you want to just give me these broad swaths of interchangeable, you know, of facts about interchangeable characters. Who we're gonna then kill? You know, I hope you're not expecting me to actually care about these dudes. I'm okay with that. But they didn't even kill the dudes. No. And there's not one iconic death in this movie. There's you not know, one iconic moment in it. There's an awesome moment where, it, because you can't tell anybody from anybody else for the most right. part. I mean, I recognize Aaron, Aaron Eckhart. I recognized, uh, I think, Michael Pena, uh, who I, I've liked him in the past. So, so there's two actors I, I kind of recognize. Otherwise, I had no idea who anybody was. Right. So at one point. At one point, someone comes to Aaron Eckhart and says, Mr. Rincon is dead. And my reaction was, who? Right. <laughs> I had no idea who he's talking about. There's another point where uh, Aaron Eckhart says to, uh, I think it's Bridget Moynihan, uh, he says to her, this is a letter from Artiz's wife. Will you get it to her? And, uh-huh. and I, I, I know she wanted to, I mean, the, the correct response to that should have been, who? No. Yeah. <laughs> Can you give me a met- first name? Anything? Yeah. <laughs> I would say, right, yeah. How am I going to find Martinez? I don't know what... Yeah, you memorized all their numbers. Can you at least give me his number? (laughs) Yeah. So everybody was so interchangeable and meant absolutely nothing to me. And what's more, they didn't even do anything with them. Right. Uh, The the only delineation was for the virgin guy who gets on the chopper. And then I realized the rock, paper, scissors of of these movies is um, virgin loses to children on choppers. I mean, so if you do the Rochambeau of, of virgins versus children, you should pick children, and then the virgin gets on the choppers. And oh, for, the one that uh, blew up. Yeah, the one that blew up. And so now I know, okay, virgins don't die in combat unless there's children, and that's how that stacks. 
Um, uh, so I, I get that now. Now I have, for a second, and I hate this movie even more because of this, for a second this movie makes me like The Losers just a tiny little bit more than I did. It made me like Predators more, and I hated Predators. And I didn't want to, I don't want to think that Skyline's a better movie because this movie has I, yeah. more bullets in it. Um, but, but Tom, you're absolutely right as far as the character arc is concerned because... Aaron Eckhart's character is such a stupid character. There's nothing there. He has no... No, Dingus. <sighs> it's not his fault. Dingus, wait a minute, Dingus. It's he the writers. Uses, Dingus, he uses a rock, a rubber band, and a walkie-talkie to take out an alien uh, drone ship. Come mm. on, give him props. That's yeah, it. why do you hate America, Dingus? <laughs> also, children are virgins, FYI. Ooh. I mean, some. Good point. Dave. That's that's true. Well, most of them. Uh, Marines in any PG thirteen movie where you're trying to set up uh, characters as badasses and they say words like "frickin'." <laughs> they did not say "frickin'." They said "frickin'," and oh I thought, "Fail, fail, fail." That right there was totally. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I was and totally thinking pretty- of you, Kelly Wan. The moment the dog showed up, and then mm-hmm. when the kids showed up, I was like, "There's going to be nothing interesting in this movie." Right you know, when they tried to do the the high tension you know kid on a rope scene, I'm like, Ugh. no, no, you're not fooling me. I don't care. Right. There's no there's no tension here. Please, isn't it pretty to think so <laughs> that there was a, this a one percent chance that the kid was going to fall? Uh, but none of them. How would you describe the kernel of the idea for this movie? How do you think this thing was pitched, Dingus? What would you think? What do you think the writers of this movie were thinking? Saving Private Ryan meets well, yeah, Independence <laughs> Okay, well. <laughs> With the duh. Uh, I think they were thinking um, we never got uh, the alien sequel Christian Morosky wanted, so ah, let's do it now. They and they, they couldn't possibly do it properly. And so uh, they stole from, instead of stealing from movies properly, they stole from movies like Signs and Independence Day, and didn't do it as well as a movie like Signs. I think they were. I thought they were trying to go for an aliens kind of thing, though. This whole idea no, yeah, of following yeah. the squad. I mean, and and even some of the the sequence on the there there had to be two battle bus sequences. I noticed, uh, you know, uh, two people taken off in helicopters. Like this movie recycled itself, even. Yeah. But even even the second battle. Even bus his scene. Oh, go on. Sorry. Oh, even the second battle bus sequence was almost straight out of Aliens, with them like having to run over the the aliens, and I mean mm-hmm. it was it's just same so music. And then they even have to do a sewer level, uh, and they did uh, all of this stuff too. Where Kelly Wan, you alluded to it in your uh, Battleopsis, whatever. Uh, they they would try to be like an action movie, and then a sneaky, scary, high tension movie, and then an yeah. action movie, and at least Alien knew. Aliens did both. Alien knew to to start off with one of them and then progress into the other one, that it was this sort of escalating tension that breaks loose into like an action movie. But this movie kept having to then go back to a little sneaky, we're going to be scary, something might pop out of the dark. Uh, Okay, now we're going to have an ambush. Okay, now we're going to have a sneaky sewer level. Uh, It it just was so erratic. and I I mean, it was incompetently directed. It's right Mm -hmm. up there with Tron, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I didn't remember that until you just said that, Tom, of the uh, that when you were talking about a second bus sequence, I, I totally forgot that whole damnation alley vehicle thing, yeah. which is which to me just played like a minor mission in a video game. 
it's just like uh, we, yeah. we just have to get from here to here, and then you can have a save point. It's just it'd be boring in a video game. Thing preceded by that awful monologuing about the brother and that, that horrible, the worst. You're gonna make the worst doctor of all time moment where he leaves the kid with his dead dad and goes and talks about <laughs> Mr. Rincon. And then yes. this, it's just, it's just awfulness upon awfulness as the soldiers collect clips from other dead soldiers and talk to them like they're in a CSI episode. Like, oh, mm-hmm. dude, you deserve better, buddy. You're, you're dead now. <laughs> uh, that, all of that was just so awful. And then they get in the Damnation Alley vehicle. And like you said, Tom, they run over a couple aliens and then mission completed. It was just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's where I think. Uh, now, I don't know, Dingus, you, I, say it again, the director's name. Le- Lieber's, what's the director's name? Leavesman, isn't it? And what is he from? Do we know what his background is? No. Well, I'm I'll, look it up. I'll look it up. No, 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 no need to. I, I just want to make a prediction. No, I want to know. I want to make a prediction that this movie would, this movie really did have a video game feel. I mean, this movie seemed to be made for people yeah. who've played like Halo and Call of Duty. And here's w- where I think it's one of its major failings is. And, and this is maybe giving it more thought than I think the director did. But I think the script had this idea that we're going to follow this one uh, squad uh, through an alien invasion. It's only going to be from that perspective. And that's kind of a cool idea because it reminds me in a way of how uh, Steven Spielberg did the War of the Worlds remake where everything is from Tom Cruise's perspective. That, that movie cheats at one point with, an, with a, a long shot of the tripod first rising up out of the middle of the city. But otherwise... Everything you see in War of the Worlds is because Tom Cruise is seeing it. When you get mm-hmm. this great shot of the tripod savaging this ferry and plucking people out of the water, it's because Tom Cruise has climbed up on a hill overlooking the river. The movie sticks with him, and it understands this is going to be our perspective. And my opinion is that I think the script wanted to do something like that with this movie, and I applaud that idea. However, the director completely lost sight of that. Because mm-hmm. the way the action scenes are shot, he does this uh, documentary uh, footage approach, which we've best seen in things like Saving Private Ryan and, and especially in, in Children of Men, where you get this idea that there's a, a, a brave, plucky cameraman there. You, you know, it, it plugs into documentary footage we've seen of, of the Vietnam War. You know, it ties into what we know about war from television. Uh, so, so they're going with that idea. And that's kind of cool. And I like it in theory but every now and then the movie drops into a a view through the scope of an alien being shot and that is completely antithetical to the documentary footage concept that is a dude who has played a lot of video games and who wants to go into this trick of of you know seeing the kill through a first person view like you would do in a game, like this is your skin in the battle. There's even a shot, by the way, in the laundry room of the soldier's view looking over his rifle. So, so right. uh, uh, and and I, I think yeah. that's a, a huge confusion. If you want to do documentary footage action, great, go for it. But when you also then mix in this crappy little video game perspective, which you know, perspective matters. Make you're choice. betraying your mediocrity. I think, yeah, you're showing that you're not giving it any thought because that Mm -hmm. first-person view works to identify you with a character. Like early on in No Country for Old Men, when, uh, uh, not Josh Hartnett, Josh Brolin 
uh, when Llewellyn is out. Is that was cruel. Hunt- I know that was terrible. I'm sorry. When, when, when shut up. <laughs> I'm now imagining Josh Hartnett at the at the river's edge cleaning his bullets. Out. I think that would work. I am okay with that. I would be if if Llewellyn was a little younger. I think that would be great casting. But early on in No Country for Old Men, we're there with him, and we see through his eyes as he's looking through the binoculars. You know, while he's hunting, and he comes across the scene. Like that's a really big deal when a movie does that. When you see through the character's eyes, and if you're doing this documentary footage stuff, that's a whole other approach. So. I just realized, you know, the director has no idea what he's doing. No. He's an idiot. His former credits include Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning, the one with Jordana Brewster and not Jessica Biel, and Wrath of the Titans, the sequel to Clash of the Titans. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Wow. Oh, man. So sad. Yeah. So sad. He Uh, makes more money than we do. Joke's on us. Well, I, I do think that 36 million. Well, I, I credit the 36 million because I don't think anyone famous is in it. I think they just had a great advertising campaign. And Kelly Wand, you cautioned me and Dingus against watching the second trailer because you said it gave uh, too much away. And yeah. as I'm watching this movie, I'm wondering, what on earth could you give away from this stupid thing? Like, that he. Okay, go on. No, no, I'm just wondering. Tell me. What, what did you. Oh, what, uh, when. He brings out the kids, and he goes, kids! And this helicopter's leaving because the virgin's on board. They don't have room for kids and virgins. And then the helicopter blows up. So okay. it's given away that that helicopter blows up. So in the movie, when they go, hey, man, I'll, I'll see you back at base. We're going to start that gub, Bubba Gump shrimp restaurant and all that. Like, you go, all right. Even as if I if I didn't already know from the trailer this guy was about to get killed, I would know from the shitty writing. Right. By the way, the screenwriter's name is Christopher Bertolini. I want to, like... I hated this movie so much I want the names to be in my head so I remember them forever. <laughs> List of shame, sure. Yeah. yeah, so next time they come out, I'm going to like, you again. <laughs> what's great about it is that you, I mean, this movie, and this isn't great, this movie is constantly flubbing its reveals. I mean, it doesn't get a single reveal right. There's nothing that it does right. And that moment when the helicopter takes off, there's no doubt it's going to explode. Right. And one of my absolute favorite moments, and the best thing about seeing this movie was seeing it in a theater full of people that, uh, some of whom laughed and some of whom were too stupid to laugh. Um, and and there's there's this awesome moment where where they all get to the the point where they think that you know Santa Monica is going to be leveled and they I'm finally so reach this because I they love finally reach their save point. <laughs> and and we know okay the the, the fast movers are going to come in and they're going to level Santa Monica except everybody in the theater or at least I <laughs> knew that it's not going to be leveled because the news report said that the forward operating base was the safest place yeah and that's movie language for it's not they put and the forward so, base there yeah and so at that moment um, they do the countdown and nothing happens what you expect but somebody behind us goes what (laughs) he seemed so indignant like he could not believe that he was being deprived of the spectacle of seeing santa monica leveled (laughs) he was really he was so taken aback (laughs) he should have been used to that feeling by that point in the movie you're not going to see anything ever but it was it was such a heartfelt exclamation though (laughs) what are you even gonna And he's sitting in Santa Monica. It's like he he thought that they hadn't switched the reels properly. He was so so betrayed. Exactly. His world was turned upside down. That that guy's reaction had more drama in it than anything in the actual movie. movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. Uh, 
I mean, it sounded like he really cared enough to get to the bottom of why the bombs didn't drop. Like he was going to, damn it, he was going to sit there and watch the rest of this movie until he found out what happened. <laughs> How was he at the end? Did he go, oh, okay. That's better than the bomb going off. Our, our showing got a, what I would describe as a as a, a light a polite light smattering of applause. An ironic golf clap. I, don't, I, I would say as many people clapped as left, because I think we had at least six to eight people leave. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, there were several folks in there. People left? Smarter than us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they were standing. I saw one guy stand up, and he like talked to the people for a couple minutes. like, I got to go here, and then, okay, I'll talk to you guys later. It was, nobody cared. He was just walking right. out. And a couple left, and then other people were walking out. They stayed for a, maybe an hour, and, and then they just... I don't know when they started leaving. Maybe maybe when Aaron Eckhart started punching the aliens' organs or something. Yeah. My favorite part about that bomb scene is the sort of thing that it's just like lazy movie making. It's so stupid. Where they're in, you know, they're, they're hunkering down in the back of that convenience store or whatever, expecting the blast. And they're watching the random convenience store clock count down by the yeah. as if that <laughs> is calibrated. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not and 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 further. They don't have their own. Yeah. Furthermore, Aaron Eckhart has. They made a, sh- a deal of showing that he was setting his watch, so he's wearing a watch that the filmmakers could have used. To, right, they've set it up. Yeah, but instead, that particular clock in the back room of this convenience store outside Santa Monica is calibrated to the second, so that once it's gone four seconds past, Aaron Eckhart knows something is wrong. That was just so ridiculous. Uh, it reminded me of, by the way. Um, I had the misfortune of seeing, uh, I think it's called Next Three Days, that terrible uh, uh, Paul Haggis. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Where uh-huh. Russell Crowe has to uh, break his wife, his wife. Elizabeth, yeah. Elizabeth Berkeley, out of prison. And Banks! Part- Banks. Oh, God, thank you. How dare you? <laughs> I know, that was bad. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, She's a dancer. <laughs> so he's got to break her out of this prison in the middle of the city. And in order to get her past these safe thresholds, He's got 15 minutes before a bridge is closed off and oh, 35 minutes before a perimeter is laid around the city. So we know that after by 15 minutes, he's got to get across the bridge. And by 35 minutes, he's got to get out of, to the edge of the city. So he takes he gets a watch that starts at zero and he and he writes on his wrist in big numbers with a marker 15, 35. <laughs> <laughs> and every now and then the movie shows us, you know. <laughs> Russell Crowe's wrist being looked at with the numbers in, in marker on his wrist and then the little readout on his watch next to it. Like, we're too dumb to realize it. And when he gets over the bridge, by the way, just for the audience's sake, he wets his thumb and he rubs off the 15. So that just the 35 <laughs> is left. In case he, he suddenly develops short-term memory loss. Right, yeah. He could turn, it could become a memento situation. Oh, he's keeping time by writing the time on his arm. Yeah, it's for the audience. Uh, right. It's like that stupid clock in the... Uh, I think the director thought that watching a second-hand sweep was somehow more dramatic than seeing a digital countdown. I don't know. What? I don't know. Ask ask Joseph Lieberman or whatever his name is. <laughs> Joseph Lieberman. Ah. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, so I want you each to say one good thing about this movie, uh, starting with Dingus, and then I'll go next, and then you, Kelly Wand. Um, okay, it... it Gave me my new favorite euphemism for um, uh, taking a dump. I need you to be my little marine. What? No. What? Oh. That's gr- what? That's what he said. Hector. 
You're my favorite Marine. No, he says to Hector, I need you to be my little Marine, which really, that sounded like a pickup line. I was a little yeah. uncomfortable with that. Uh, what is your euphemism for, for taking a dump? I'm going to open the kimono and feed you the train? I've already had breakfast. Get it? Uh, no. My, my new favorite euphemism is drop a grenade in that pool and let's move. That's Dang pretty good. Terrible. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> that's probably <laughs> like a screenwriter. The pool, guys. I'll be back. <laughs> Do they go off uh, chlorinated? I'm talking uh, about poo, by the way, not grenades. <laughs> we can do that for three by three uh, at some point. Uh, mm. I actually, here we go, and I'm I'm serious. I actually kind of liked the way that the aliens had kind of broken down, sputtery machinery. Uh, I think it was a little derivative what? of District 9, but the way that those those drone ships seemed like they needed a muffler, I kind of liked that. And that, and no, no joke, I'm being earnest. I kind of liked that whoever decided that to make the aliens, and they had their weird little clunky walking uh, missile launcher, which just fired the little drunken missiles. Uh. I, I like, so, you know, I'm frantically watching this movie thinking, I, you know, I want something to salvage this experience. So I That's like, what you came up with, the muffler. That's the no, I like that. I like that too. I like how it. it I mean that the way that the that those ships would sputter and drop down to Earth, and you got the sense that are these things going to stay? Yeah. Uh, is it the is it the gravity? What is it? Uh, yeah, I like that a lot. It felt like it was. It, it just kept making me think, as you just said, of of District um, District Nine. But yeah. Well, it's sort of like I'm, I got the impression, and again, maybe in the script this could have been a cool bit. The movie just wasn't smart enough to see it. But I got the impression that they wanted the, the idea to be that these aliens weren't very technically advanced as far as like aliens go. They were no Independence Day aliens. They just had to drop a bunch of dudes in and then eventually follow up with the air power and like missiles and stuff. Like it didn't seem like they had supernatural like they didn't have I win buttons, you know, like they do in uh, in Independence Day. So I kind of like that. That's that's the best thing I can say about this movie. Well, well what I like about that is that. You know, I think you're right. I think that there's this whole, and I, I really hesitate to to bring this up, but I think there's this whole other layer that 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 this film could have had, or that that you could make for for this kind of film, where you you could you could write an alien colonization film about us being colonized. That's sort of about Iraq or Afghanistan. You know, you've got this sort of war crime sequence. You've got what you're talking about, this inept technology that's that seems really good until you get out into the desert or wherever. And and some other things that, that is a whole other layer that you could go for, but that a film this stupid will never get to. Um, so so I really I did like that because it made me think well, there's something else here. Well, and that's the difference between uh, Neil Blomkamp, who did District Nine, and Joseph Lieberman, who did uh, Battle this of Los Angeles. This piece of shit. Yeah, who is like, like, I think he's from South Africa, isn't he? Well, yes, he is. See Neil the irony. Blomkamp. Neil no. Blomkamp or Joseph Lieberman. Lieberman. Both of, both of them. They're both South African. One of them's oh, a man. genius. It's like an Ed Wood, Orson Welles thing. <laughs> uh, I should have hit the drive. there, Kelly Wan. But no, I got something better for that. Uh, all right, Kelly Wan, I, can, you, can you say anything good about uh, uh, Battle Los Angeles? So you hate even saying the title, don't you? It hurts. Uh, you know, it hurts I, the it, title. I, 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 gotta say, I was so psyched. For, I mean, I love crappy. I know. It was an awesome, the first trailer with the music. Yeah. I, don't even like I didn't even see the first trailer. I just listened to the music, 
and and saw the posters, and I was just so excited that because it's not in the movie. The dry spell. Kelly, one, you're you're slightly wrong. They do use a a, a couple of strains from that song. In when? I, I didn't know. Can't be bothered to tell you. I don't know that, but uh, th- there are a few times where the horrible score. You know, oh my god! Oh, you, well, you, yeah. you just reminded me of another thing I liked about the movie. Well, the, well, the horrible score a few times did use strains of that song from uh, I think its name is Johan Jo Anderson, called uh, "The Sun Went." dark or whatever that song is uh they used a little bit of that in the score so dingus what did that remind you of that you loved in this movie uh that the bus explosion stopped the music for a couple of seconds (laughs) (laughs) thank you lieutenant gorman (laughs) really seriously lieutenant mcwiney pants dies and then we we get a little bit of respite from the score because the the score is just driving crazy ponderous where aaron eckhart and lieutenant uh, Gorman is, you know, Lieutenant McGorman is, you know, it's t- just cr- crying and, oh my and he's God, saying, he cries so much in this, yeah. It's not time for that. Put that away. Secure that shit, Hudson. And <laughs> yeah. and all during that, there's just, it's like somebody in the next seat had his Walkman on. I mean, yeah. let me feel the scene, douche. I don't want to hear all your goddamn music. Wow. So anyway, the bus explosion stopped the music for a second. Okay. So that's something else I liked. Kelly one, what do you got? What did you like about this? What's one nice thing you can say about this movie? Well, you know how Michelle Rodriguez usually dies in everything? Right. Like the Resident Evil and Lost and uh, Avatar and Aliens? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, uh, in this movie, she doesn't die. And I realized that I don't want to do Michelle Rodriguez while she's alive, because that would be gross. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 to- Kelly oh. Wan, that was terrible. Hope that doesn't sound racist. I didn't mean it like that. I like Just Michelle, saying. Michelle Rodriguez. I, oh, she's too Is butch, she man. No, she's awesome. Is she in the next uh, Fast and Furious? No, she got yeah. killed off on number four. Spoiler alert. They have to solve her murder. Know. The guy who did the music for this movie did Fast and Furious. That's really? Not true, Dingus. It's true. Also, Constantine. That's not true. I'll never believe you. <laughs> That's not true. It's I don't impossible. Believe Next, you'll be telling me uh, the Japanese earthquake changed the length of the day. Too soon. Hmm. Uh, Next, you'll be what telling is my me. Three by three this week. Uh, this one's kind of dumb. I apologize. I hated it first, but I like it now. Just to let you know. I went the other way around. I thought it would be fun, and then when I wrote mine, I was like, mm-hmm. "Okay, these are three. I, mine are all in the form of letters, <laughs> like open letters to directors." Oh, good, mine too. Except, okay, good, good. Yeah, all right. Yeah. That's probably how I should have framed it. But it I'm was imagining these... both of you as as Ben Stiller and Greenberg. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the resemblance doesn't really end with the letter thing. On my you published end. my letter on Pakistan. You're mean. Your generation's mean. It's making you mean. Let's just quote Greenberg. Tom people, Tom people. <laughs> so, Kevin, uh, what is this three by three before we uh, get too far into it? Too far into Greenberg? Into uh, three. Oh, oh. Um, three things you'd like to tell a director if, God forbid, they ever listen to this nightmarish podcast. All right. All right. Uh, by the way, I just want to say Jake Goldblum. We do have one director, right? Yeah, the yeah. fellow who directed Don McKay. He, he did uh, email us. And I had a someone ask me a question on the forum quarter to three about 
when Don McKay was being released in Finland. And so I emailed Jake Goldberger and he got right back to me. So we are actually in communication with the director. So huh. our, this three by three is like, what if other people were like Jake Goldberger? Say Joseph Lieberman, director of Battle Los Angeles. That's right. Who would be thrilled at what we've just said. Now, you guys think. think he's from South Africa. I'm pretty sure he represents Connecticut. I just want to say. You know, this that, the movie was so stupid, I could have sworn an American made it. <laughs> no. Beautiful, Kelly Wan. That's your tagline. Why was that not your tagline? Because the tagline was asked to be dirty. Uh, well, Dingus, you are introducing next week's 3x3, so you have to go first. Haha. All right, How's well, my number three um, thing I'd like to say to a director if they were listening to this podcast, since Kelly wants to use the word they, uh, this is to three people. Um, oh, I thought you were going to um, make fun of my bad grammar, but instead uh, you're just... It's to uh, Colin and Greg Strauss and Jonathan Liebsman. Oh, really? I'm excited. I'm really I know, stoked. I, I know where you're going. I mean, I, I see I see the connection. I, I'm excited. Okay. I'm genuinely glad. I, I take back what I said before. I love this topic now. Okay. Do you know who Thank Jonathan you. and Greg Strauss are? We do. No. The directors of Skyline. Very good, Tom. Do you know who Jonathan Liebesman is? He is the senator from Connecticut who used yeah. to be a, a Republican and turned to a Democrat and confused everyone. Right. Exactly. He's transsexual. No, he is the director of Battle Los Angeles, which we just saw, in case you're just catching in up. Quotes. You wanted to uh, miss spoilers. So Dingus mm-hmm. has this to say to the directors of Skyline, Skyline and Battle and, Los Angeles. Yes. In that order. All right. Um, uh, dear directors, uh, <laughs> three of them. I like it so far. Enough. Enough with the 12, 24, 36 hours, days, weeks earlier. Enough. <laughs> this device almost never helps a film it never helps the story except in rare cases it ruins the dramatic tension by spoiling a reveal what the fuck are you trying to accomplish with this device movies are not trailers they are not youtube clips we're not switching to something else we are here we're not leaving at least for another hour so take your time at the beginning of the movie and don't Show us a bunch of stupid action and then say 12 hours earlier. I'm done with that. If your movie had begun with, for instance, Aaron Eckhart running on the beach and then feathered in the reveals later on, that would have been fine and more exciting. I don't need a bunch of crap up front and then a day earlier in a title card. I'm done with that. So, guys, you don't need to do that anymore. Who's ever telling you to do that? Stop it now, please. It's Fine. Studio Notes. They didn't want to do it. Studio no, then they can they can pass this on to uh, whoever. So just to clarify your position, you're saying get right to the disappointing crap. Forget the setup to the disappointing crap. Exactly. Okay. I predict. No I just one don't understand to. this this compunction of so many things to do the three days earlier after this this because when you sit down in the theater, you're there. I'm I'm here now. I'm not going to leave. I'm here now. So you've got this is the only time during the film where you have time. So so it's not I'm not watching a YouTube clip and I'm going to clip click to something else. I'm watching your movie. Cut it out. It drives me cr- I can't stand that uh, 12 hours earlier thing. It drives me up the freaking wall. Oh, freaking. I've never heard him yeah. like sound right. like this. This uh, is a this is a PG-13 movie cast. <laughs> fucking A, yes. I'm waiting for oh. Dingus to sign his letter. 
Oh yeah, I did. Signed, uh, uh, Christian Morosky. <laughs> Dingus, you, know, so I, I appreciate you just lost all credibility. <laughs> I appreciate your passion, but that's so unfair. I mean, that that's like pointing out that you don't like the color of the chairs on the Titanic. I mean, that's the least <laughs> of the problems. <laughs> And there, there are times I understand this device, and there are times it can work, and it's, I, I mean, I, I just, I, I think it's such an inconsequential problem for for, for the movie. Uh, they know they have to open with something big and dramatic and a bang to get everybody's attention. Then uh, put them to sleep for twenty minutes. But yeah, they I've, don't. You they don't do. have they to do. open with they a do. bang they to get everybody. They do. What's going to happen do. if they don't? Uh, I agree with this. The audience will lose interest. You need to grab the audience. You need to do something for for a, for a, a popcorn movie for stupid people. You need to give them something shiny early on. And if and if they don't grab yeah. your attention in the first two minutes, what's going to happen? Is everybody going to leave? The movie will not test well. <laughs> that's not true. I am being completely last... serious. I am being completely I'm serious. Sure, yeah. that, that's exactly right. I mean, this is how you wait, wait, script wait, wait. a movie. This is how you make a movie to make sure it's going to open for thirty-six million dollars. No, but he's I saying with you. Then... I, I agree with you in, in theory, Dingus. But in a good movie, like you, you, you want to be careful with that device and use it sparingly. But that's the least of the problems of this piece of crap. I mean, this is, that's the sort of thing where if you sit down a focus group, you know, one of the questions will be, is it exciting early on? You know, the, and they need to, the studio needs to shovel. I mean, that's the funny thing about both Skyline, Battle of Los Angeles, any movie that does that, you can tell it's just a, an afterthought in the editing. Uh, and I agree with you, it's stupid. But I don't really care about it because the movie has far bigger problems. I do appreciate your passion, though. I love hearing a good rant about something, and you, you knock that one out of the park. But I just cannot get worked up about a movie <laughs> taking a narrative device that is clearly a product of focus grouping. Uh, it's more a studio problem than, than anything else, I guess. You know, if, if studios didn't care about how it plays in Peoria, as Kelly Wan said, we wouldn't have this problem. But that's part of the job of a studio, I guess. Battle Peoria. But I, I, can't believe I don't it. believe that. I don't believe that's that's focus grouping because if if you turned off the mu- movie after that two minutes and said, "What do you think now?" Maybe, but by the end, that little pre-button or whatever you call that, whatever the technical term for the little bit at the beginning that's like a mini trailer for the rest of the movie, whatever that is, doesn't have any impact on somebody's reaction at the end of Battle Los Angeles. And 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 at least Jonathan Liebesman has. Some, I mean, he can do something. I don't know about the other guys. The other guys are good editors or special effects guys or something. I just, well, I, I just think I, that I, is I've, such a misguided thing. I, and I'm in the unfortunate position of sounding like I'm defending Battle Los Angeles. So <laughs> ha ha. I'm going to move along now. Uh, well, did you know? Wait, real quick. Did you know about the lawsuit that was filed against the guys who did the effects for both movies? I knew that the same guys worked. That's the funny thing about movies these days is the credits. They, they have so many different studios doing the effects. So yeah. apparently one of the studios worked on both Skyline and Battle Los Angeles. Relati- and, Relativity Media did both, yeah. And what, what was the uh, substance of the suit, Kelly Wand, even though we're not on Battle Los Angeles? Uh, they said, hey, why are you doing those effects for your movie that comes out before our movie that we hired you to do the effects for, you fuckers? And they went, uh, see you in court. <laughs> All right, well, my number said, three... Oh, go ahead. They said Frickers, though, because it was a PG-13 movie about an alien. So my number three is... Uh, all of mine are very short, uh, because I didn't think that I would be able to write letters. So I just have very short, very succinct statements. And what I love about this topic is... It's a terrible topic, you're right, Kelly Wand, but it gives me <laughs> license to talk about three things that I want to talk about. 
<laughs> with no regard for any topic. <laughs> I can just do whatever I want with this. Uh-huh. So my number three is, I want to say to a director named Quentin Depew. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He did a movie called Rubber. And Dingus, I'm... I think maybe you might have seen it because I thought I saw a reference to it in something you wrote. Is that right? Were you were you sending out little clues or am I misreading that? No, I have not seen Rubber. That gummit. I was hoping somebody had seen Rubber so we could discuss it. Well, Rubber. anyway, the uh, the thing I want to say to the director of Rubber, which is an absurdist horror movie about a tire that makes people's heads explode, uh, his name is Quentin Dupieux, and what I want to say to him is, so, uh, whoa, <laughs> what's up? That's it. That's what I want to say to him because I want to Wait. talk to that dude. I want to hang out with that dude. I want. I'm him sorry. Could you read him. it all over again? Could you yeah. do it one time from the go. top? Yeah, because in case you're writing this down, Kelly Wan, for the yeah. forum thread. Oh right, right. Yeah. I want to say to Quentin Depew. So, uh, whoa, what's up? That right there. That's what I want to say to him, and then we'll just talk about how awesome Rubber is. Because I love this movie, and I want one of you guys to see it so we can I'll watch it. it. And, tomorrow. and it, let me tell you, until you guys see this movie, I'm going to work it into every three by three from here in perpetuity. Just to punish us. Just to punish you. Yeah. Are these going to be tweets from now on? Then are we doing tweets now? I might tweet this to Quentin Depew. Yeah. Yeah. Why isn't Twitter the verb? If it's a verb. Oh, don't no. even go. That, are, uh, is that your is that part of your observational comedy routine? It's just <laughs> no. It's just what's up with Twitter. Toothpaste come in stripes. All right, Kelly One, what is your number three? Because nobody here has had the common decency to see rubber. I forget Dingus is number three now. You have to remind me later. Dingus is a long letter. Uh, I hoped you were transcribing all that. Just get your. I forgot I had to transcribe it till now. Uh, All right, Kelly One, what is your number three thing that you would say to a director? Uh, dear Mr. Spielberg, thank you for making the seafaring drama movie Jaws. If I could make out with a movie, it would likely be my first choice after Piranha 3D. Two things. First, lose Lucas. Like many SNL alumni, they were fun to be around when they were young, but now I think he's just keeping you from reaching your true potential as a film director. Finally, and most importantly, please, please, please stop apologizing for Temple of Doom. I know you're in kind of a mood because of marriage stuff during production, but I think it was this that has colored your perspective. You were in a great mood when you made Crystal Skull. The defense rests. Your friend and former employee, Kelly Wand, the Long Island Wands. All right, very good. A nice, a nice, very kind letter to Steven Spielberg. That's sweet. And I think we all share your sentiment on this podcast. Uh, Dingus, what is your number two? Th- or do we do we need to go? I think that was pretty self-contained. Do we need any elaboration? Nah, that's boring. The other ones are good. Okay. <laughs> Dingus, what is your number two letter that you've written to a director? Uh, my number two letter is to um, a director named John Favreau. Ah, we all mm. love Made. I think he stopped making and, um, movies after that because that's a shame. Exactly, that's exactly right. And I just want to say, uh, hey, dude, uh, I know you just got fired, and you probably have some yes men telling you this, but uh, but let me tell you this as someone who really didn't like your last film but really likes you. This is the best thing for you. Uh, why one word made? Uh, go find Vince Vaughn. Get him out of whatever crappy romantic comedy he's signed for next. Um, lock yourselves in a cabin and figure it out. I'm begging you. Make make whatever movie you want. Make a surreal science fiction movie. Make something. Just the two of you get in there. I don't care. You guys are magic. And now that you're off the teat, you can find that again. I know it. 
bring your Dinner for Five DVDs for uh, inspiration and watch them together. Just make a real movie and uh, and do something that you can care about. And I know you can because I've seen you do it. Signed, you know, Dingus. These are like real letters. It's very sweet, Dingus. Except for Tom's. Nice <laughs> we actually Minor, want them to read our letters. Minor tweets. They're not going to read your letters, but they'll get my tweets because they'll be retweeted. That's true. Nobody reads letters. They read tweets. Why don't you do your reviews just as tweets from now on, then? Maybe I will. Hmm. What, do I, what is that, 144 characters I get? Uh, you Take away four. You got it. 140? Okay. Tom doesn't like uh, characterization. Well, I don't, ha- I don't use Twitter, too, so that there's that as well. Hmm. Sorry. Uh, all right, so that's a very sweet... <laughs> uh, what, he got fired from what, Iron Man 3? He didn't get yeah, fired. He- that's not really happened. Didn't you leave? It was like a Raimi. He was like, you want it in a year? I gotta go. I can't do this shit anymore. The last one killed me. What's wrong with you? He so did a Raimi. Does he have another project? Like I thought there was something... Is he on anything now? I have no idea what he's on, okay. but I'd like him to do something real. Alright, that's very sweet of you, Dingus. That was very kind. Uh, All right. Well. Kelly Wand, what is your... Oh, wait. Whose turn is it? You. Uh, mine, it is, is it really? My number two... Uh, again, this is very short. This is a, this could be tweeted. I am going to tweet to Darren Aronofsky. Mm. Here's here's the sum total of what I have to say to him. Beware CG. Now I think uh, I like it. There's uh, a plus thank for you. me. <laughs> uh, you know I think we all enjoyed Black Swan, but I personally feel it's one of his weaker movies compared to The Wrestler, Requiem for a Dream, and The Fountain all of which has this startling intimacy with the characters uh, with no, you know, even in the fountain, the trippy effects were all this cool macro photography tricks, basically like zooming in on a a kaleidoscope or a a bowl of liquid or something. He did trippy macro photography stuff. Uh, And I think part of what happened in Black Swan is he got seduced by doing these horror movie tricks with CG that were admittedly cool. But Black Swan was very techniquey, and although Natalie Portman was very good, there, she was nothing compared to, uh, you know, the whole Rachel Weisz, Hugh Jackman connection in The Fountain, to uh, the entire cast of Requiem for a Dream, especially Ellen Burstyn, certainly Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. Uh, I, I don't want Darren Aronofsky to go down, even though I like the special effects in Black Swan, they were awesome, I don't want him to go any further down that road. I want him to come back to what he was doing before when he wasn't doing a lot of you know, Cronenberg horror movie with CG. That's fine, but but he's brilliant when he's more minimalist and focused on actors and characterization. So that is what I want to say to Darren Aronofsky. Beware CG. And There's North- not going to be any CG in Wolverine. Oh, that's right. He's doing a Wolverine movie. Well, I don't know. No, he's he not. Yeah, he is. What, are you, he? What, were, what movie are you talking about, if not Wolverine? I mean, the Wolverine. He's just no, talking I, generally. No, no, I mean all movies for, from now on. I thought you were... I, I forgot he's doing the, the, the Wolverine. It's like an origin, or it's like a young... What is his Wolverine take? It's uh, like the Frank Miller Japanese miniseries where he's like a samurai and shit. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. Uh, well, Wait, I, I thought... Love, I, I would love I for him to have no CG for that. I was joking, and now I'm, I'm baffled as to like how you wrote such an awesome letter to him, or tweet, as it were... Without knowing this. No, because... I did know that. I did know that for whatever he's doing next, whether it's a Wolverine or a Robocop or a, a Batman or another weird Robert Siegel script about a working 
class blue collar dude, I would say this to him: beware CG. From what I understand, you don't need CG to do superhero movies because that Spider-Man play. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Look how well it worked out for right. Julie Taymor. She didn't yeah. need CG. No. <laughs> Look what she accomplished just by using wires and, wires and uh, high platforms, exactly. sandbags. Yeah, so it's like we're all superheroes and dancers. What? Right, so, so Kelly, one, what is your number two thing that you would want to say to a director? Dear Mister Richard Kelly, I really wanted to enjoy your movie Donnie Darko, but even after listening to your and Jake Gyllenhaal's commentary track. I still have no fucking clue what the deal was with that plane fuselage. Even if Donnie could time travel, how did crashing a fuselage into his bedroom save his mom's life? Is that even what happened? To be honest, I'm not convinced you yourself know. But when you said on the commentary that Donnie's alternate dimension has some weird relationship with metal, which is why he's stabbing it with a knife and talking to the bunny, I'm almost willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. If I want to be jerked around, I can just watch Lost for five seasons and then hang myself. Get it? XOKW. P.S. The box. Lols. All right. Very good, Kelly Wand. Terrible. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Typical. Uh, I, I think uh, trying to figure out Donnie Darko, I, all you have to do to try to figure out Donnie Darko is watch Southland Tales in the box. <laughs> but it almost makes sense. And it's like, I don't know. That's close enough for me. I mean, I, I agree. It oh, doesn't. It, there's some movies that I get upset or, or books or whatever, where if it doesn't resolve the central mystery, I'm like, I feel ripped off. But what if it doesn't resolve the mysteries? I don't think Donnie Darko is necessarily for for me. I don't think it necessarily needed to do that. Meh. It's almost like David, like a, a young, uh, shrewd, fresh-faced David Lynch kind of thing, where he's just got some cool ideas, and they. It, although it made way more sense than David Lynch, so that's a terrible comparison. Um, it almost made sense, and I'm okay with that. Like I don't need to. I've seen uh, it a couple times, and I don't need to. I don't need that to be an airtight movie. It's not, but it's not even close to airtight. It's not even air loose. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like there's basic shit in that movie I'm not understanding at all. And on the commentary track, if he's, if I still don't get anything, I mean, he just doesn't sound that smart on the commentary track. He sounds pleasant, but not like a super genius. He doesn't sound Aronofsky-esque. Well, like I said, I think all you need to know you can get from watching Southland Tales in the box. <laughs> What about Battle L.A.? Will that teach me anything about Donnie Darko? I wonder what would happen if you played them at the same time. You'd go back in time <laughs> and open your mailbox and then kill the rabbit guy. Thing. Oh, God, he's still talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, Kelly Wan, that's your number two. A very a very kind letter to Richard Kelly. Uh, was it? Was it kind? Or was it just know. empty? It wasn't like, as mean as Dingus's... Uh, angry letter to the Strauss brothers and um, brother Strauss, I think they go by, and Joseph Lieberman. Yeah, Dingus is our angry. Dingus took the gloves. That was bare-knuckle boxing. Dingus definitely has seen the fighter. I could tell. He said the F word. He did, I know. He said, he also said teat in his second one. Yeah. What's going on with Dingus? I don't know. He's he's become a real bad boy. <laughs> he really has. <laughs> I think he and Wendy are role-playing. Through the podcast. I think Kelly's railing against PG-13. It's started to affect my, my life. <laughs> Maid's not PG-13. So why is Battle LA? That's my logic. 
All right, Dingus, what is your number one thing that you would say to a director if that director was listening to you? All right, this is very much in the vein of my second one. It's a similar letter, and you guys are amazing since you I, – I couldn't have predicted <laughs> that you would actually mention this director before I could even say her name, but you did. And once again, you've preempted me. So uh, you guys are great. Who's he Don't talking about, Kelly Wand? <laughs> what, what is he on about, Kelly Wand? Do you know? I guess Kelly Wand left. Has Kelly left the building? Did I? So. You ran him I off. Ke- you, you shamed him off of the podcast. Nice work. <laughs> All right. Well, what was the? Who was the female director that we uh, that we mentioned that spoiled? Came it? back. Thank you. <laughs> who was Welcome the back, director? Kelly. All right. The, fe- the female director you guys just talked about is, uh, is of course, Julie Taymor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is it about Spider Man? Mm-hmm. Uh, Light sort up the of, darkness. Okay, it is. It's it's high, Julie. I'm really sorry to hear that you got canned from that Spider-Man put out the light musical. Um, actually, I'm not. Uh, that crap is a waste of your talents. Seriously, you're well rid of that. I have two things to t- or a couple things to tell you. Um, uh, number one, I'll see anything you do. I if you have something you've been hiding, something you wrote that you've always wanted to do a project you secretly wanted to do, please do it. Please, no matter what the budget is, I will see it uh, because I loved Titus so much. I, I, you know, I wasn't crazy about the film you did after that, but I was so nuts about Titus that anything you do, I will, I will see it. Uh, and the other thing is, if, if you need an idea for something to, to adapt, um, steer clear of Shakespeare for now. You, you, you've, you've done enough of that. You've shown you can do it. Um, go, go for something weird. Go for something else. Uh, if you need an idea, then I've got an idea for you. And, and this is uh, something called the the, um, the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, the Unbeliever. And uh, basically, it's, uh, it's I know, I know, it's it's Narnia for grownups. And I think that you could really do something cool with it. So um, whatever you want to do, do. Uh, but do something, please, because because uh, minus the grownups. Minus the Kelly one. Okay, Dean, sign your letter real quick because I want to ask you something. Oh, uh, signed uh, Peter Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now you've tried to tell me about these books before, and I I keep calling them (sighs) Canticle of Leibowitz or something. What what are these chronicles of what? What is this? (laughs) Chronicles of Tom Tom. Covenant the Unbeliever. Leibowitz is better. What is it it you've tried to tell me about these? I know. know, It's about a leper. Leper rapist. Wait, I want Dingus to say what? What is it oh, you tried okay. to tell me about these? Because I know you've tried to half-heartedly because I think I was laughing at you and yeah, it probably was, didn't really encourage you to go on. But what are these books? Because I'm intrigued now that you think it's something that Julie Taymor should do. Yeah, I, love uh, that idea. Like, I would like uh, I would like a decent director who has uh, a mind for um, really expansive, surreal, uh, powerful images uh, to be able to do these books because uh, it's a it's a difficult series of books nobody have ever recommended them to likes them um it's a small group of people who actually likes them because the protagonist is so unlikable and so difficult it's uh, fantasy? yeah it's it's fantasy it's basically it's basically narnia for grown-ups you know but it's yeah, more adult know. though yeah it's more adult than grown-ups now, kelly one why don't you like yeah. these books no they're okay but i don't want to see them as movies they'd suck Ah, are they unfilmable? Yeah. Ah. You'd have to tone it down and water it down. Yeah, and it's Julie, just a lot of it's... But Julie what? Taymor, Kelly Wand. Julie Taymor. I don't... I didn't see Titus. I don't see movies with tit in the title unless it's just the entire title. 
Uh, didn't no, it, it, it could never be made because uh, Kelly's wand. It would have to be Kelly's wand. Kelly's oh, right. Wow. That was <laughs> Kelly's wand. Kelly's Every right. Freudian slip means something. Yeah, an angel gets their wings. Um, <laughs> they would have to be R to be of any use whatsoever. So it would never Which be. Which will done. never but, happen. But I just want Julie to uh, to feel okay about what she's going through and and know that uh, we're still behind. Did you start the third trilogy? Dingus? No, I, I didn't check? even know until um, somebody podcast. just told me. No, no, just a, a new, uh, a new, a new Facebook friend of mine just told me that. A new uh, hope. A new hope just told me that. Ah, you're on that Facebook. That existed, and I, I didn't even know it, it existed. But I, I love, I love those six books, and I, I read them every few years. But, but not many. What? People. They're not that good. Did you read uh, Gormenghast? Did you read? We'll talk later. What? what was the book yes. that you just recommended to Tom? <laughs> um, Rage of Angels. Uh, all right, so Julie Taymor should do Canticle of Leibowitz. Good, good. All right. Uh, okay, my number one. Again, it's not a letter. I'm gonna. T- I could tweet this. Now, hmm. here's the problem: is I wrote this down, and then I was thinking about it, and thinking, you know, it's, hmm. it's a bit of a stretch, and I realized I had tweeted it out to the wrong person. Don't. Yeah, I know. So here's what happened. I want to tweet to the Coen brothers. Here's what I want to say to them. The sum total of my message to the Coen brothers is read Walker Percy's Lancelot. Now, hmm. let me. I got to do a little explaining here. It's a very short message, and if they, you know, uh, I uh, the the Coen brothers have adapted movies from books from two of my favoriteest of all time authors. Now that they have done No Country for Old Men from Cormac McCarthy's novel and True Grit from Charles Portis's novel. Portis and McCarthy are two of my favorite writers of all time. But I think my favorite writer of all time, and this came from mainly reading him when I was younger, and you know, when you're young and impressionable, that stuff never leaves you. So I think my favorite writer is a fellow named Walker Percy. And he has written several absolutely unfilmable novels that would make <laughs> dull, turgid movies that nobody would want to go see, and nobody would ever make in the first place. However, he did write one novel called Lancelot, which is, I, I thought the Coen brothers might respond to. It's, it's set in the South. It's about Hollywood in this contemptuous way, like Barton Fink is kind of about Hollywood. Um, it's about uh, somebody who kind of goes insane. Uh, it has a fantastic location and a grand apocalyptic ending. And I, I think it's Walker Percy's most filmic novel. And, and so when I think of how well the Coen brothers captured Cormac McCarthy and Charles Portis, I'm like, you know what? I would love for them to read this Walker Percy novel and then have them do it. However, my problem is Lancelot is very much a book about sex, about sexuality. Uh, it's, it's a lot about uh, jealousy, infidelity. Um, Walker Percy, as a matter of fact, is a, is a writer. He's a, he's a Southern Catholic, which is already a, a huge contradiction. Um, but all of his books are basically about sex. Uh, and Lancelot is one of the most explicitly about sex. And I can't really think of any Coen Brothers movie that is is sexual. Like, it's, the Coen Brothers kind of strike me as asexual dudes. Like, like there are certain movies that have infidelity as a plot point in them, like um, uh, The Man Who Wasn't There, certainly Blood Simple. But it almost is like they don't really care that much about it. It's just in there. Uh so in thinking about someone who should do Lancelot 
and who could tap into its its subject matter of the the essential darkness of sexuality i've decided that i accidentally sent the message to the wrong person and the person i want to read walker percy's lancelot is actually john curran the australian <laughs> director who did uh, a movie called praise we don't live here anymore uh the painted veil an adaptation of a somerset mom novel all of which yeah. are about the ickiness of sexuality and unfortunately he did a really clunky movie called stone that I'm just going to pretend didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> so I originally sat down and I wanted to tell the Coen brothers, read Walker Percy's Lancelot. Instead, I want John Curran to read it. So there you go. That's my number one. Just as you, Dingus, want Julie Taymor to do Canticle of Leibowitz, I want <laughs> John Curran to do Lancelot. So there you go. That's my number one. Did you get all that, Kelly? Read Walker Percy's Lancelot. <laughs> Got good. it. Uh, Kelly, Wand, have you read? Because I know Dingus uh, has read Lancelot. Have you read anything by Walker Percy? No, I've saw the TV series Rizzo, Texas Ranger. <laughs> I think there was a movie made from. I think his most successful novel is called The Movie Goer. And I think there's actually a movie of it, if I'm not mistaken. But Goer. The Movie Goer. Yeah. What? It's about a guy who goes to movies. It's called The Movie Goer. Oh, the movie. Okay, I thought there was two words, and the movie was called Goer. <laughs> 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 that's an interesting title very descriptive of what someone does in the book they go somewhere they it's do not sequel. come back it's a sequel to beer right you're always watching their back running from you and the next one is the movie winter <laughs> all right so kelly Wan, what is the number one thing that you want to say to a director who might be listening Dear Mr. Alan Smithy, I'm a huge fan of much of your early work, especially The Shrimp on the Barbie, Hellraiser Bloodline, and Mighty Ducks the movie The First Face-Off. But I was a bit disappointed in 1995's National Lampoon's Senior Trip. It was unclear to me why the principal played by Matt Frewer would entrust the care of his young charges and himself to the care of the bus driver played by Thomas Chong, especially after he overdoses on speedballs and dies midway through the trip after jumping the bus over a police barricade into the Potomac, a stunt nakedly copied later that year in Speed. I also found it slightly unconvincing that no one would want to sleep with the hot slutty girl or that the film school nerd she was trying to seduce prematurely ejaculated into his pants would still be a deal-breaker. Other than that, nice work and fuck the haters, although if the pressure ever begins to affect your work, maybe you might want to consider adopting a pseudonym just for that one project till the dust settles. Regards, uh, AsianBoy69. That's my uh, handle online. Into the what? AsianBoy69. No. What was the name of that river? The B-O-I. Who? What? Never mind. Rector? It's also a very, nice, a very nice letter. Thank you. Tom. Tom's moved by my uh, correspondence Dings with Hollywood. <laughs> Dings' last two were kind of like love letters. A couple of years were like love letters, too, Kelly Wand. No, Dings's were ra- cries of rage, except for the last one. No, nah, Dings was very nice to uh, uh, Vin- or, uh, uh, John Favreau and Ju- Julie Taymor. He basically wrote them... He told John Favreau to lock himself in a cabin with Vince Vaughn. <laughs> that is kind of rude, isn't it? <laughs> That's mean. What a it's dick. not rude. Those guys love each other. I know they do. <laughs> they don't want to be in a cabin together after what they've been through. <laughs> they need to figure it out. All right. Did we have runners up? I hope not. I didn't. 
Nope. That exhausted me just writing three of them. I, I sure I, hope the they get could, their way to we. I could tweet on. a lot more. I mean, I, since mine were tweets, you'd think I could have a. Whole Why didn't we just write one to the Don McKay guy? Because he actually does listen, and we will at least have one director. Well, we don't know that he listen. We know that he, that he listens. We know that he listened when we were talking about his movie. Uh, so he listened once. But if you emailed him and said, "Hey, we had a question for you on another podcast about Battle L.A.," I'm sure he'd really give a shit, right? He might. He might. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> Shut up. Think it's I mean, uh, next week's three by three. What do you What do you got for it? it, it well, yeah, yeah, it's your turn, Dingus. Dingus what are we doing whoa. next week? All right, how do you fellas feel about flashbacks? Uh oh. Well, it was all because of the tip the brown acid the same night that I had the Vicodin. How do you feel about movie flashbacks? Ah, I see what you're doing. The one with Kiefer Sutherland and uh, Dennis Hopper. No, that one's not going to be uh, part of this. All right, so this is uh, this is sort of leaping off of my first, my third choice first letter and the way this movie began. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you can't really say that that convention I'm railing against is a flashback, but, you know, it's sort of taking advantage of our use of flashbacks. So um, we've already talked about dreams and hallucinations. Kelly had an excellent topic about that some time ago. Um, now, now I want you guys to give me your favorite, uh, your favorite flashbacks, but, um, your specific flashback from a movie, not, not a flashback movie. I'm not looking for a whole movie. That's a flashback. Uh, I'm looking for a specific moment in a movie that is a flashback and why, why does it benefit the film or how does it benefit the film? This information is delivered via, via flashback. I mean, that's why this is interesting to me. So, uh, so I really like this convention, and um, so you guys give me your three favorite movie flashbacks. And that's going to be tough, because when I see a movie, I afterwards rearrange everything chronologically in yeah. my head. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough, too, because even as I was coming up with it, I kept coming up with things I had to shoot down, and, and I'm having a tough time, too. But, um, but part of the railing against that thing that I railed against earlier made me think about flashbacks. All right. So next week, we'll do our three favorite flashbacks. Does an outtake count as a flashback? One, two, three. Uh, I think, it, do, do I have to define flashback? Does Memento count as a flashback? That's a flashback movie. If you can, you know. What about Lawrence of Arabia after the first scene? That's all flashback. If you can find a specific move, a specific flashback in a movie is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for more of a, a moment. I don't think. What's a movie? Dingus, I don't think Kelly Wan's questions are in earnest. <laughs> mm. I'm sorry. Then I'm gonna. Uh, then I don't have to take Saving Private Ryan off the table. <laughs> mm. All right. Mm. So uh, we will do next week our three favorite flashbacks, and we will see. Uh, we are overruling Kelly Wan, who wanted us to see Unlimited. Uh, we are instead seeing uh, Win Win. Yay. A movie about little kids in tights that Tom had his heart. Stop on. talking, little boys. Stop oh. talking now. Directed mm. by, uh, all we know is that it's directed by uh, Tom, Thomas, Tom, Tom McCarthy. Uh, we are officially, uh, I think this is the official Tom McCarthy fan club podcast, by the way. I think we, we won that designation for the year 2011. Uh, so uh, join us for uh, Win Win. We'll see that. We'll do Dingus' 3x3 of uh, our favorite flashbacks. And uh, that'll be next week. So I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by... Christian Mor- 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 Morons? 
Moronsky? Moronsky. Christian Moronsky. Uh, it's Christian Moronsky. You're getting there, buddy. And Kelly Wand. Killian Murphy, Jack Nicholson, Melanie Griffith, and Keanu Reeves in the sun shining through a scanner darkly. This podcast wasn't that great, but we meant well. For more information about good intentions, ask your parents why they had you. If they say because the drugstore was closed, give them a big hug.